With each mortgage-free home, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us. Heroes that put their lives on the line for all of us, risking their lives for our country and our communities. These heroes need your help now more than ever. Help America's heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work. And man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone so I can keep working all day long. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We're doing things a little different today. We got the first half of the episode, well, first third of the episode. Right here, we're going live on ColorCast to give you guys a sneak peek of this week's episode. Because, DJ, we just partnered with ColorCast as well. It's going to be a fantastic thing. And if you guys don't know, we've already made our debut on ColorCast. We did a, we did one game already, uh, one of the playoff games. And DJ, how do you think that how, how was that for you, you know, finally getting to comment, commentate on the game? It was fun. It's a great feel. It's nice to be able to watch the games and say what you're feeling a little bit because pretty much all of us sports fans kind of commentate the games ourselves anyway, more or less. Like, we see something, and if we're hanging with our buds, we say something like, oh, he's wide open, or oh, well, why didn't he throw it there? Like, we kind of do it already, so we just this just gives us a chance to throw a little bit of a professional sprinkle on it, button up a half-hearted tie, and give it a chance for ourselves, too. The only <laughs> thing that sucks is we have to do basically the broadcast camera. We don't get to see the whole field like they do, so that's why it gets a little more spotty, that, and we're not paid nearly as much as they are to do it, so we're just kind of winging it. Exactly. You know, you, you talk about getting paid. And, well, the one way we do get paid is through our sponsors, everybody. Uh, this first half of the episode is sponsored by Dr. Squatch. If you have not already checked out Dr. Squatch, 
Soap Company. Link is in our link tree. They bring the nicest, freshest, cold-pressed soaps to men to make us smell good. Trust me, your woman will love you for it. If you are single, any future girlfriend will love you for it. They are fantastic. Best fragrances you can smell like a man. Go ahead and check them out, guys. Link is in our bio. Uh, and if you honestly, have some yeah, facial hair them. like I do, I was trying to grow myself a little winter beard here. They have some good beard products too, some good trimming things. Everything you need for all forms of man, man grooming, manscaping, man control, everything you need. Exactly. So now getting into the episode though, this is why everybody's here. This is why they're tuning in on ColorCast. This is why everybody wants a sneak peek. The fights. This weekend got started out hot. I mean, there was a lot of events this weekend, but number one, Saturday night, UFC 257, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor. That's the headline. Everybody's excited to see McGregor back. What do you think of the fights? I mean, honestly, we go down the list here. You know, a bunch of wins, not really many surprises. One that might pop out, though, Michael Chandler. What do you think about him? Well, we'll get to Michael Chandler in just a little bit here. I feel like we can't just bury the lead. Poirier <laughs> McGregor, too. Wow. Just wow. Who saw that coming? I'll tell you who did not see it coming. The Vegas odd makers and just about anybody you talk to listening to these fights. Everyone knew Dustin Poirier was a bad man. He was a fantastic fighter. Everyone respected him so much, but there's a lo- there's a lot of weight put into that first fight that they had where Connor took him out in, I think it was 100 mm-hmm. seconds or so, something along those lines. And I think just... Every time we had seen Connor before, everything he'd said, we all kind of believed we saw that up and coming Connor, the one that took the world by storm and strapped it on his back and just made the world his oyster. And in the first round, he had his moments. His hands were strong, fast. His left hand was cracking. He didn't really wobble Dustin a few times, but he landed some shots. You can see Dustin had a few, had to clear the cobwebs a little bit a few times. But the underrated part of Dustin's game that he started a little bit in the first fight, and it's kind of a hole in Connor's game when you look at a lot of his other ones is he started chopping at the legs. And in the second round, he was blasting those calf kicks to the point where one of them, he landed, Connor was basically stuck and he couldn't move. And when Dustin saw that, he put on arguably the best blitz you could I've probably ever seen since guys like Vitor Belfort, where that was like a thousand punches in a minute, mostly technically sent a little bit of brawly in there, a little bit of just screw his head out there somewhere and just started swinging. But that (laughs) that blitz was nothing wrong with a little bit of a street fight in in an MMA fight, you know? It was a very technical brawl is how he turned it into once he realized Connor couldn't move and he basically had to try and pot shot and plant one. So Dustin just tucked his chin and started firing. And I, now Connor's barely been knocked down in his career, let alone toasted like that. Yeah. And that's when you hit somebody that many times that quickly, it was insanely good preparation by Dustin Poirier and his team. Not very good preparation by Connor and his team, especially that change in stance. I'm kind of rambling a little bit here now, but so we're going to work our way back, but he started when we see previous Connor fights, like when he was on his rise, when he was like eight and one to start his career in the UFC or something along those lines. I think it was eight and one after the DS2 fight, nine and one after he beat Alvarez. He had a very, not quite karate, but it was like a split between a karate and Taekwondo stance. And while that does leave you more susceptible to leg kicks, which we saw against Dennis Seaver, we saw, knocked him down with a couple leg kicks or chopped at his legs a few times. It left him susceptible, but he was so quick on his feet. He would glide. He was like a snake when he attacked. He would glide like a cobra across the octagon. And he never got cracked with any of them because anytime someone threw one, he'd bang a left hand or a right hand or right hook right down the middle. So t- so most times player- fighters were a little bit reluctant. That's why we thought him and Jose Aldo was an absolute, at least people like me thought it was going to be an absolute banger. Does Jose Aldo's leg kick hinder that stance or does... Connor's boxing does he with him being opposite stances is able to check those and get inside it difference was Jose sprinted face first into a 12 gauge shotgun of a left hand he has and that kind of put an end to that but 
that's kind of what, and even Eddie Alvarez landed some really good kicks, even though that was a masterful performance, Eddie showed that you can hit his legs too. And Dustin just took that to another extreme while being defensive. But in this fight, Connor had none of that karate stance. He had both hands, traditional boxing, like touching both temples. His body leaned a little farther forward. It was, he's gotten really obsessed with boxing since that Floyd Mayweather thing. And I get it. That made you a lot of money and you want to keep those sharp in case you go back. But I think it's hindered his MMA game a little bit. Like he does not look like the same. He doesn't look like the same fighter. He just, he looks slower. He looked, maybe it's because he's not as hungry when you got a billion dollars or whatever it is at this point and you got your own whiskey and all that. But yeah, he hasn't quite looked like the same fighter. Not since he beat Eddie Alvarez. Yeah. You definitely mentioned, you know, a, a couple of things in there that, that I know you tweeted from the account uh, Saturday that about Connor being, he's one of the most successful fighters to ever be, but he's no longer that guy anymore. He's that, He's just a guy with a large following is in, in the MMA game. Is that, you know, just explain that a little bit more for some of the people that don't understand that. Cause I know for some people they're like, what do you mean? It's still Conor McGregor, but you know, they don't really understand the fight game. So, so, so he's the top five fighter in that division. Pretty, pretty unanimously. I'd say, I mean, like he's, we haven't seen much of him in this division. He's technically one and two in this division now, but anyone who's watched him fight, I mean, you know, he's a top five fighter in this weight class until proven otherwise. I think he's ranked six now because when you're, inactivity and getting t-code you're going to drop but when you look at connor he has a very good skill set he's a banger of a left hand he had probably the fastest rise we've ever seen and he was always chasing basically the unbreakable barriers like going after that 10-year undefeated streak jose aldo seven years champion then after that going for that double champ status but having the run-in with nate diaz and having to get back on that one trying to basically having that diaz back-to-back fights then alvarez then chasing floyd we saw one of the probably one of the better fighters we've seen in recent years, just as far as his skill set and what he's able to do with it. His destruction of Eddie Alvarez is arguably the best championship fight I've ever seen where the belt changed hands, like the best performance by a challenger against a champion. It was an absolute masterpiece. He literally had his hands behind his back and was calling Eddie basically whatever he wanted to. He was taunting him. He just decided, okay, I'm going to finish you now. And then went Goku on him. Yeah. So, but ever since that point, when there's he has everything, he's done everything. There's no more barriers to break. He's not really so at this point. He's doing because he likes throwing hands and he likes money. Is what it looks like. He doesn't. He's not pursuing virtually what seem like unachievable goals. And it kind of shows. I mean, against Khabib, he looked okay. Like his wrestling defense was all right. But I mean, he once the going got tough, he virtually conceded. He was just kind of playing defense and making sure he didn't get pulverized as much as he could. And then against Dustin, after the first couple of exchanges he was still throwing leather but he just he doesn't have that extra that extra something something and I'm like we which is why it's commendable to guys like Floyd who stay on top for so long because he doesn't he doesn't really care about all that stuff he's like I just can't lose Tom Brady after being and going to football since we're gonna talk about them a little later he keeps fighting ever he's still yelling and basically deep pantsing his teammates on the sideline and embarrassing them every single year even though he's 43 he's accomplished everything that competitive fire is still there and I don't know if Connor still has that same competitive fire. I think he enjoys the game and he hates being away from it. But when you, that's why he keeps doing it. But when he's in there, it's like, eh, it just doesn't look the same. I don't, I don't know. Something just hasn't looked right for him since 2016, really. Yeah. You know, I got to say, this is the first time I've seen a Connor fight, the lead up to a Connor fight for sure, that he wasn't as cocky and trash talking as he normally is. You know, this I don't... one in his last fight against Cerrone. So I did, yeah. I did forget that was in his one seventy. So I guess technically is two and two in his last two at four MMA fights, but one's at one seventy and one's at one fifty five. So one and two at one fifty five is what I did mean when I said that. Yeah. 
it was just it was it was odd for me to you know Connor in a lead up is 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 it's must see television if you will and uh, you know you mentioned you mentioned how much he's fallen in love with boxing since the Floyd thing you know looking to his future what do you think what do you think is going to be do you think his future is going to be MMA sticking with MMA or do you think he might you know this whole Jake Paul thing is hovering over his head do you think this Jake Paul thing is a is a possibility for him. Well, Jake Paul has to deal with Ben Askren, who, while he's probably the worst striking UFC fighter we've seen, he's still a professional fighter that has thrown hands for most of his career. So I'd like to think that Ben Askren's going to take care of that problem just fine. Because if he lo- if he loses Jake Paul, it's embarrassing. I mean, I appreciate that one of us could ice Jake Paul if he gave us the opportunity, especially if you gave us that much money we'd train just fine for. So I expect Ben Askren to win that. But let's hypothetically say Jake Paul continues defying odds and t- takes him out. Then if I'm Connor, I definitely consider it just just for the off chance of making an insane amount of money possibly. Yeah. But for Connor next, who do you want to see next? Let's hear what you want. To, what, what, what fight piques your interest as an outside viewer of it? Look, I still, I, I, you talk about him not having the edge. The one guy I've seen him have an edge on a, a mental edge to, to fight him is Nate Diaz. I want to see Diaz again, just because those, you talk about musty television, give me Nate Diaz and Connor McGregor again. And uh, this will just be, the world will blow up at this point in time. They, you, we can't handle that that many egos, and it's fantastic to watch. That's a trilogy that will basically be good no matter what, when, where, why, or how. They could be on 17 fight losing streaks each, but it's like, okay, we're going to wrap up this trilogy now. Everyone's tuning right back in. Everyone's getting ready for it. So I love that fight too. That's if it makes sense for both of them. There's a handful of fights I wouldn't mind seeing, but the one that sticks out for me is I kind of want to see him and Tony Ferguson go at it, considering they've had a lot of kind of beef it's mostly tony calling him mcnuggets and calling him out for the most part and connor's kind of brushing him off and saying his management's trash but i think those two are both on skids they both need to basically get back in the win column and it's an interesting test for both of them the question is does tony still have the toughness and that his toughness has been his big going point his entire career just his ability to walk forward like a piece of iron and just continue to be in people's faces can connor survive that kind of cardio blitz and can tony continue to out tough people it's kind of a good clash of who basically who's starting to lose their edge a little bit more. And at the same time, it's a very winnable fight for both of them. If Tony's going to sprint into Connor's left hand, well, he's going to unleash that 22 gauge 22 shotgun right in his face and put him out. But if Tony's going to be able to avoid those shots and just maul, maul him like he does with everybody else and stay in his face all the time, he's going to absolutely destroy Connor similar to what Khabib and Dustin, probably not like what Dustin, but similar to Khabib. So it makes sense for both of them. I still like DS too. Cause that's a fun one. That's always fun. There's a talk him and Dustin doing the trilogy right away. I'd like to see him get a win in between. Just first time getting TKO'd, you never know how that's going to mess with you too. Especially yeah. with someone that had his aura and all the, all the back, I don't want to say backlash, but like the fallout of this fight, I guess is how to call it. Cause he's always had the, well, I got submitted or something. He never had the getting TKO'd in his own game. So I want to see how he bounces back from this. If he's going to continue fighting. Yeah. Those are two fights I'd really like to see. All right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that'd be definitely an interesting one to see. Uh, now, what about for Poirier? I mean, now with him defeating Connor, getting that monkey off his back, if you will, what do you think? What do you think Poirier is going to do next? It depends. If Khabib <laughs> is not coming back, give Dustin a title fight against Charles Oliveira. Makes sense. Charles Oliveira has been killing absolutely everybody. He is the number one contender, whether it's Khabib or if there, Khabib gets rid of the belt or if Khabib comes back, Charles Oliveira should get that title shot next. He is probably the most balanced fighter at the top of the, as great as the lightweight division is, Charles Oliveira might be the most balanced fighter. His standup is so technically sound. Everything is straight down the pipe. It's beautiful. His wrestling has gotten a lot better so he can actually take people down. And if I'm not mistaken, he's one of the 
if he's not the submission all-time submissions leader in UFC history, he's in that top three or four. I can't remember his exact placing. I think he might be one. I can't remember. And then what he did to Tony Ferguson in his last fight, he absolutely he treated him like a son. I think he had two 10-8 rounds in a three-round fight. Like he he put Tony in the crib, buckled him in, strapped him on, slapped on the binky, and took him for a walk around the park in a stroller. He <laughs> that was an outstanding performance of Oliver, and he deserves it a title fight at this point, whether it's Khabib or Dustin or whatever they want to do with it. But if I'm Dustin at the same time and Khabib's being Khabib and not coming back, not committing, I'm like, okay, give me Connor again. That's a lot of money. I'll take it. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's feeling good. He thinks he knows in his mind, he's going to crush him again. Or Nate Diaz, they were scheduled to fight back in UFC 230, I believe, but Dustin got injured. That's a lot of money too. And even Nate Diaz is, is on board with that too. So those are the fights I'm looking at, but I'm not going to fight like Michael Chandler is come, just coming off a quick win or just anybody like I'm going to, there's a few guys for Dustin. He's got a little bit of leverage here. I pick one of those guys and he's, He's been in the game for so long. He's been so good. I mean, 25 and six, basically fighting world-class athletes his entire career for the most part. And I mean, he's also the, was virtually the star of that Fightville documentary that I'm, that's when I was first introduced to him was watching that. So if I'm Dustin, I'm angling for Nate Connor. If I can get Khabib. Yeah. But I don't think Khabib's going to do it. And I would be okay with Oliveira if it's for a title, basically. Fair enough. All right. Now you did mention Michael Chandler had a fantastic fight this weekend. First Talk about coming out guns blazing too. I mean, him and Eddie Alvarez were considered the two best lightweights to not be in the UFC for years. Eddie comes in and gets his legs kicked out from under him by Cerrone and kind of pieced up. Michael Chandler comes in and casually blasts James Vick into the fourth dimension with a, you could kind of see he was stalking James Vick because not James Vick. I'm sorry. Dan Hooker. Hooker. Yeah. Dan Hooker. I, sorry. They're both way too damn tall for the weight <laughs> class. Like I think Hooker's six, two and James Vick is like six, four. That's how I get them confused. Yeah. I don't want to see them fight now just to see them hate each other from across the cage. But anyway, like Hooker circling, using, utilizing his distance, trying to find a spot. Chandler is stalking him like a little pit bull. His shoulders are, he's like five foot eight, but his shoulders are like six feet wide. It makes no damn sense how he is so stocky in the upper body. He's got the ultimate wrestler's build. I hate it. His shoulders look literally like a pit bull, but bred for dogfighting is how he looks. He's stalking him all over the place. He's trying to find his range. He's getting a little frustrated. Then it, what he does is what pretty much every fighter has kind of started learning recently is if you can't get their head attack their body he throws that straight right to the body it doesn't follow it up continues to throws the straight right then comes with a left hook over the top as hooker is fading away his head leans back but his hands are down because he's that's how you move you don't really run with your hands up he's yeah. leaning back and the left hand connects and he packs a punch michael chandler is the he's literally a firecracker at a, he's a bite-sized firecracker those ones you throw on the ground and they go they pop the little poppers okay. he's like that but with a stick of dynamite basically <laughs> so, and and he's ridiculously fast too like the speed at which he threw that combination and the just the assaults he put afterwards with his wrestling background he's a really good fighter and he's still not too old i i think he still needs at least one or two more fights before he's in that title contest what the reason he's up there so high is because when they offered it a chance to be an alternate he's like yes and basically he's he's gonna be really good he still needs one or two fights like him and justin gaethje is a fun fight i'd like to see two guys that can the wrestling will basically cancel out and it's going to be just, it's going to be rock and sock and robots. Michael Chandler's not opposed to brawls and Justin Gaethje doesn't know how to do anything but brawl. So I like that matchup. Yeah, definitely. I was just about to ask, what do you think his next fight will be? And then Gaethje would be a fantastic one. Let's say Gaethje doesn't work out for some reason. What do you think? What do you think an alternative for Chandler could be? That's tough. I mean, because I don't, Poirier already said, like, I don't really want to fight him. He just got here. Great debut, but Poirier is going after bigger and stronger fish at this point. Gaethje makes a lot of sense. Connor and him's not a bad option either. I mean, kind of 
gives him a good option. You call him out after you call out everybody afterwards. Yeah. Him and Tony Ferguson's a good one too. Like I, there's a little bit. I don't think him and Charles Charles Oliveira makes sense. I think Oliveira's got to be Khabib or Dustin or they got to figure. I don't know what or just give him the belt. I I don't know. That's that's a tough one for him. But I just want Michael Chandler and Gaethje. That's the one I want. The other ones are cool and all, but that's the one to make in my opinion. You so just want to see the fireworks. I I don't blame you. That's basically if I could line it up, it'd basically be. We're going to say Khabib's out of the picture. We're going to say he stays retired. So I'm going to have Dustin Oliveira for the title. That's going to – I want Connor and Tony Ferguson, and then I want Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje. That's how I would like it for like a little six-man mini quote-unquote tournament-looking thing. Fair enough. Yeah, winner gets the belt. That makes sense. Well, Dustin and Oliveira, winner of that gets the belt, and the other guys are basically fighting for next next crack. But yeah, <laughs> next man up, basically. That's how I see it, honestly, and – Oliveira might be the dark horse out of that one. I think people are really underestimating how he could beat. I think he'd be the favorite to beat just about everybody. Poirier might be the exception, but good luck dealing with Oliveira's well-rounded game for everybody else. And that's just crazy to think that maybe the number one challenger is the most underrated of the group, you know? It's, a, it's crazy to see the lightweight division is absolutely dirty, but all the eyes are on Connor and Khabib. You see guys like Dustin come out of nowhere, virtually out of nowhere, with almost no shot in hell and absolutely puts on an, a clinic. And he survives the storm, which that was kind of the thing leading up to the first fight. Like Connor, and I quote, he has a little, he, he does, he hits one leg every time he gets, t- every time Augusta wind and he does the chicken dance, that sort of thing. Like <laughs> his chin at 145 was a problem for Dustin because he did get wobbled in a lot of fights. 155, he's pretty sturdy. I mean, he has one knockout loss, but other than that, he's, I don't even think he's been dropped otherwise. He's been rock solid. Yeah. So, well, that'll wrap up this first sex- segment, guys. Everybody listening on ColorCast, that does it for us today. If you don't already know, we will be back on ColorCast on Saturday to call the Suns-Mavericks game. And that'll be the 31st, I believe. I believe so, it is the 30th. 30th, sorry, the 30th. My bad. Moving ahead today, looking <laughs> at the wrong day on the calendar. So, yeah, January 30th. We'll be on the, on air. You'll check our Twitter page. If you guys don't already have ColorCast, download it in our link tree. It's fantastic. It's a great app. It helps us commentate on games that, you know, we normally wouldn't get a chance to commentate on, which we love to do. Um, so for everybody tuning on ColorCast, thank you for tuning in. And also check out the episode coming out on Thursday. But for everybody else, we're going to go and listen to a brief message from one of our sponsors. What's up, everybody? It's Kelsey from the High Low Sports Podcast. You know, if you missed the brand new news, we have partnered with Fanatics.com. So if you're in the market for a brand new t-shirt, brand new hoodie, brand new jersey, no matter the team, no matter the player, no matter the sport, Fanatics.com is your place to stop. Not only does this help support our podcast, but it helps support the entire Onion Sports Network. Check the link in our bio or go to OnionsSN.com. I'll be having DJ in the High Low Sports Podcast. See ya. And welcome back, guys. So we just left off with this the, the thing that got us started kicking off, kicking off this weekend. UFC, obviously. Fantastic fights. Great breakdown by DJ on, on a lot of what he saw from Connor and, and, and Poirier and Michael Chandler and what to look forward to. But the weekend wasn't done. That was only Saturday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Championship Sunday. AFC Championship game, NFC Championship game. Man, what a fantastic weekend for games. I mean, you look at the Bills, you look at what they had to go against with the Chiefs, you also have on the other side Tampa Bay and what they had to do with the Packers in Lambeau with 9,000 fans that felt like 18,000, 20,000, even maybe a full Lambeau, if you will. Um, 
they had these giant signs waving back and forth. It was <laughs> a fantastic environment. Uh, so DJ, what do you what do you see this weekend? And and you know, look at let's start with the NFC Championship game since that one was first up on the docket. Tampa Bay, Green Bay, man. What what would you see there? And what was what was your kind of your takeaway? First thing I saw was two old goat caliber quarterbacks going at it, but it definitely not in their heydays anymore. Even though they both had good seasons basically started out how the first game looked where Tampa Bay was absolutely rolling. The offensive line for green Bay was getting mauled. Aaron Rodgers was uncomfortable radio was picking a part of vastly underachieving defense minus Yair Alexander, but the rest of it vastly underperforms to the point where they let Scotty Miller with six seconds left score a 50 yard touchdown, just because Kevin King can't seem to, you know, get back in that situation. He looks at Scotty Miller. He's like, Oh, it's just a little white guy. He ain't burning me. Look that the kid runs like a four, three, two and was a track star. I mean, let's, and ran right by him. And Kevin King got toasted all day, too. Him and Sullivan, they they let Yair Alexander down, considering he was an absolute clamp on that side. I mean, he finished with, what, three pass breakups, two interceptions, three yards or something like that, a point, oh, 0.03 QB rating against him. Like, Yair Alexander is special. All you need is moderate competence opposite of him. Like Revis when they got Cromartie, too. You just need moderate competence, and good luck, everybody else. But they literally got... Freddie Kitchens at corner, basically out there from, and Brady picked it apart for the most for the most of the game. And then we saw a little bit of a flip when Aaron Rodgers kind of got going a little bit. Like he started getting to his groove. The offense was rolling. They started mounting a heck of a comeback. Brady kind of turned into Jameis Winston. Nobody wants to talk about that because all they kept, they see him getting the ten championships, fantastic goat level shit. But they ignore the fact that it, he th- had three turnovers in that second half. They were just lucky Green Bay only got six points off that. If Green Bay is able to convert any of that, it's Green. Tampa Bay is not playing a home Super Bowl. Like Brady gets a whole deserves a lot of credit, but that was wasn't a masterpiece by him. He had a good first half and it looked really good, but down the stretch, he was rough. That one that he missed, Mike Evans' giant, massive six five forty inch vertical leaping frame on that post. If you bring that, like you put it way too high on it to where his his leaping self barely could fingertip it. Yeah, and, you, you can't miss you can't miss Mike Evans on that seam route. For sure. And you mentioned Yaya Alexander. What a fantastic game for him. I mean, it, literally in the right place at the right time. I remember we were watching it, and you're just like, yeah, they haven't thrown at Yaya Alexander the whole time, and it just happens to be the Mike Evans seam route that he overthrows. And it's, look who pops up, falling down, reaching back behind him, but Alexander to pick another one off. And a couple arm punts by Brady that just worked out for the for them in the better. But to me, that last drive, man, by the Green Bay Packers, third and goal, Aaron I mean, I, I guess I don't know what there's been a lot of different come, you know, conversation after the game about what happened there, why he didn't run, why, why it was something different. He thought he had another play in, in fourth down. And basically the, if he had ran for it, then the floor would have gone for it. But if he didn't run for it, you know, did exactly what he did, then the floor was going to kick a field goal. Why would you kick a field goal down by eight? Though That's the question that I have is, is why are you kicking a field goal down by eight with, Two minutes to go, Tom Brady on the other side, and you just happen to have Aaron Rodgers. What is what math says that's the right play? You know, I because we watched this and I said it live there. He was like, Why are you kicking this field goal? I mean, you're having a lot of faith in your suspect defense to get a stop basically against Tom Brady. That's why it's kind of rough. But at the same time, two weeks ago, Frank Wright got chastised for going for it on fourth and goal from the two early in the game when you were still up. So I mean, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. All they care about is what works. Like if Let's say LaFleur kicks the field goal, they get the ball back, and Aaron Rodgers scores the game-winning touchdown. It was smart. Hooray, because you're down by eight, so you had to score a touchdown and go for two. So that's what he's probably thinking. 
Whereas Frank Wright, if they score that touchdown, they're up 17-7, they'd probably beat the Bills. Hooray, he's a genius. Look at those giant balls in a wheelbarrow. But considering both of them didn't work out, their, wheel, their wheelbarrow fell with a flat tire. And Matt LaFleur basically, they, yeah, he's getting reamed for it now afterwards. So yeah. I would have went for it considering the circumstance and you look who's on the other side. It also reminds me of that, I think it was that 2009 game, the Patriots and the Colts, that comeback Peyton Manning led. They go for it on fourth and two, and Antoine Bethea makes that tackle on with a one-yard gain, gets Peyton Manning the ball back with a little bit of time, not a whole lot of time. I think it was sub two minutes. He goes down, scores a game-winning touchdown. Afterwards, they ask Belichick. He's like, that's Peyton Manning over there. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, that's kind of that's kind of how I think they should have done it here. Like, with the Colts and the Bills, like, they – I thought they should kick the field goal there because it was still early in the game. You'd already been pinning them with all your kicks, just circumstantial football, but I get going for the dagger. This one, I get you kick the field goal, you get the ball back because there's still three timeouts, and I think it was a little over two minutes because it was like two minutes and six seconds. That's why the weird kickoff was two. So there was plenty of opportunity to get the ball back. It's not like you had one timeout in sub two minutes. Like there, You had a really good shot to get the ball back, even giving up a first down. Yeah, you, you essentially had four timeouts there to go to go into virtually yeah so you had even a little leeway where let's say you get a first down right away you could still get the ball back and be in position where a touchdown wins you the game you don't have to go for two you don't have to put yourself in a weird spot but when that's tom brady over there and that's mike evans and chris godwin and byron left which plays and bruce arians sitting there with his fedora and all that stuff i would ronald jones leonard front that's just too many weapons that's just pull out one random trick play they've been saving it and that's the game that's I would have went for it. I would have liked Aaron to have run that. I think they should have established for the play before that. We are going for this on fourth down. Aaron, just don't take a sack and don't turn it over third down. I think in that case, he probably runs it. Let's, I think he could have scored, but let's hypothetically say Jason Pierre Paul's monster seven foot self reaches out and grabs him with his 18 inch long, 18 foot long arms, trips him up. Fourth and goal from the four instead of from the seven, maybe even the three or the two. A lot more reasonable to go for. So, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. I, I I get it. Like I don't like it personally in that situation, but I I get it. I'm not gonna like roast Matt LaFleur over. I we said it in the moment. I was like, I would have gone for it. And if I'm Aaron, I would have just ran that anyway. I said screw yeah. it, I'm going for it. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely definitely kind of the, the thing takeaway from that is is Aaron in the in the moment thought, you know, he he was gonna his arm talent is so great, he thought he could make that pass to Devontae, which was not a terrible pass, mind you. He missed Devontae by maybe a foot. That was more on the Buccaneers' closing speed, too. Like It's like you yeah. see on the replay, Devontae has that flash open sitting in the zone, but then the Buccaneers just close on it so quickly. Yeah, yeah, that, that second down play where he tried to throw back, that was – he was so open, and then just boom, done. Then third down, yeah, he tries, he tries to get him in the back of the end zone and just misses him. I mean, yeah, look, it was – it's a tough game, and especially after having, you know, Equanimous St. Brown drop, a, drop a, the two-point conversion on the previous drive, that kind of probably meant, mentally is like – well, okay, I can only throw to Devontae in this moment, especially with Lazard on first down, completely ignoring the RPO and not even turn, getting his head around to help to help Aaron out. So, yeah, he probably was mentally in his own bag, um, which unfortunately is, is sad to see. But Tom Brady goes, you know, you mentioned it, goes to his 10th Super Bowl. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that one later, I'm sure, um, especially more on the NFL and Hinge show, I imagine, because we got into a heated argument about Tom Brady and his, his, his standing well, in you got into the heated argument. I had nothing to do with that one. Yeah, no, that was me. I got into the argument with our group chat. But it is what it <laughs> is. I mean, look, it's a, it's a, it's quantifiable debate on both sides. So, um, you know, it makes sense to consider. But on the other side, you talk about the old heads on one side, 
You got the young guns on the new on the other side. Patty versus Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs versus Tyreek Hill. You know, you look at the matchup right here, and this was all about offense, supposedly. But what'd you say? Well, we went from the old geezer senior citizen quarterback to the baby Facebook brigade with Josh Allen and Patty Mahomes. So we'll talk about a complete 180. But what I saw from this one was the Chiefs defense, once again, it shows like it's not the great defense, but it's a very underrated defense. They can fly across. Legereus Sneed, what a playmaker they have to. What a pick that kid's been. Tyron Matthew, while he's not the best cover guy, he's a random playmaker. He just finds himself around the ball. Chris Jones is still that dude in the middle. Frank Clark was still a $10 million plus a year pass rusher. They got players across. Dirty Dan Sorensen diving headfirst into players with the crown of his head. They got... They got guys across the field that can make plays. So I think that's what we saw as the defense we talked about in the previews. In the first matchup, they can they basically gave Josh Allen all check downs and said, We're not gonna let you throw the ball down the field. He got greedy, and that's what kind of hurt him early. Then he figured out late. Almost the exact same thing happened again. They like they kind of gave up some check downs early, and Josh Allen wasn't quite able to find them. And it, they eliminated Josh Allen's legs for the most part, too. They made him they didn't let him scramble and make a whole lot of plays for a while. The Chiefs defense is just they, they came to play. Steve Spagnuolo is an excellent defensive coordinator. He gets them in the right spot. And I think it was just, I think I overestimated the Bills a little bit, thinking their hot streak could come in there and beat a Chiefs team that, as great as the Chiefs are, like there's no doubt they're the best team in the league. I figured it would be kind of like the three-peating heat a couple of years ago, those teams like that. Like, you just get tired after a while. Like, that long seasons like that. I mean, you were in the AFC Championship against the Patriots two years ago, lost in overtime. Last year, you went all the way to the Super Bowl. This year, you're all the way back here again. Like, it's a grind. There's a reason teams don't three-peat in the NFL. And there's a reason we we rarely see a two-peat. Yeah. So that I expected them to just wear down a little bit. Maybe it revitalize them for next year. But they were able to make the plays, and I think they just confused the Bills. I think they just have a little more talent. They The experience came into play there. I mean, the Bills overachieved a little bit in the playoffs. I mean, they were. it's hard to say that when they won like almost 13 in a row minus a Hail Mary or whatever it was. But I think they a little bit off a little more than they could chew early was all. Kind of like when the Chiefs got to the AFC Championship game against the Patriots two years ago. Just a little bit more than you were quite ready for. So the Bills will be back. They'll be fine. This was just more of championship experience and DNA with the Chiefs, along with the best tight end and the ultimate deep threat in football where they combined for 290 yards and the ultimate playmaker at quarterback. Who's yeah. just It's a weird combination at the right time of where the, the, game, the way the game is played offensively these days with the officiating. Which, speaking of which, we didn't talk about the officiating in the last game. You let him play all day with no defensive holdings, not like one penalty all game. Then you call what was a defensive holding. It was clearly a penalty, but you ignored like three of them earlier in the game. Yeah. That's, yeah. But anyway, that yeah, just, the refs, actually, the refs in one side, definitely the refs in the, in the Packers Bucks game. If, if you're going to provide a report and find them based off their performance, that's one that needs to be fined because you can't let it go, let it go, let it go and then start calling it at, at, at a moment's notice. You just can't do that because it's but, just like baseball. If you call a call, call strike zone the same way all game, and then in the ninth ninth inning you tighten it up, well, what's that do, do anybody any good? Like we'll both, We're both clear so Tampa Bay can put away their pitchforks. We agree mm-hmm. that it was clearly a defensive holding. I mean, you oh, saw yeah. the full yeah. – The problem is you didn't call the defensive holdings earlier. You didn't call the false starts. You didn't call – There's two penalties all game before that. I mean, like if you want to let them play, let them play. You just can't. It's tough, and I, I, I just I don't know. It was it's just weird when you see almost two identical defense penalties, one call and one not. I don't think it changes the game. I still think Tampa Bay wins if you don't call that. Like, 
from what I've seen from the Packers, I didn't know if they were going to be able to go down again and score eight points to even tie it up anyway. So who knows if it even, I don't think it necessarily mattered at that point, but yeah, it's, it's just one thing I hate to see. But anyway, back to this game, yeah. it just kind of showed that the Chiefs are, they're that team and I don't think they're tired quite yet. I think this reported them quote unquote being bored. I figured that was going to come back and bite them too, if that's actually true. But it looks like they're not quite bored so after all when they saw Josh Allen and the Bills come in, especially with that graphic they had pregame. I don't know if it was for the CBS broadcast or a pregame show. Who has the edge of quarterback, Josh Allen and the Bills? Oh, okay. You know, somehow Patty got word of that too before the game. I was like, oh, all right, hold my kneecap and my neck. And then yeah. just rolls in there and casually throws dimes all over the place. Yeah, definitely. You know, this is this 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 Bills Chiefs game was something interesting. I think they got their wake up call from quote unquote being bored against the Browns and how close that was. Especially with Patty going down, that was a big shock to the system. And then for it to turn out that I guess it's turf toe is what the official diagnosis ended up being uh, pregame was it was he he has turf toe, um, and that's how he was able to pass the concussion protocol so fast. And uh, first of all, we we both know that that nobody gets that wobbled from turf toe. As let's, let's just say that. I mean, he did have turf toe, but that's not what we're asking about. Yeah, that's that's not the question that was being asked, Kansas City. So good on you for putting that smoke screen up. Um, but yeah, I think that motivated that Chiefs team a little bit more. And dude, I've been talking about it all season. I feel like that Bills run game, where has it been? And it did not show up when it needed to show up in this game and, and help Josh Allen take some of that pressure off of him and, and allow him to get a little bit more freedom in the game that he wasn't able to find because, well, they could just sit on it. You know, they're just, they're sitting on these passing routes that are just so open because they don't have to worry about a, a halfback draw or any run game to be considered about. So, exactly. And they didn't do the best job identifying because the chiefs, they disguise a mix match and they run some wacky goofy stuff as much as anybody, which is probably what gets them in trouble sometimes. But this time the bills weren't quite able to figure out like they had, like they have against other teams and some other teams have been able to. So Good on the Chiefs, basically. Just kind of show they're ready. They were ready, and the Bills were not quite there yet. But yeah. Bills will be back in this position. We'll see if the Chiefs can. They now when they take on the Goat Tampa Bay, we'll see how they can do going into another team's home stadium. See if they're bored or if they're able to kickstart into a second gear, go for that back to back. We'll see how things go here. Yeah, you know, I'm just gonna toot my own horn before. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna talk about that game right now. But I will toot my own horn and say I did predict this in the preseason awards. I know it's low hanging fruit. Look, but I still you picked the it. two favorites. Yeah, I mean, I still predicted it, and that's all that matters. If so, we were betting money, we probably all would have picked went something along those lines. People are crazy, but and, and they try to be outsmart themselves. It's the old Andy Reid method of, of outsmarting your own self. So who'd you, you have in the NFC Championship game, game though? Do what? Who'd you have in the NFC Championship game playing in Tampa Bay? Oh, you're gonna ask me that question. I don't well, know. That's because I, I know the answer. That's why I'm giving you I'm just giving you shit on that one, but we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about it is what we're not gonna do anyway so now that we got that taken care of we spent a lot of time talking about the quarterbacks in these matchups interesting enough quarterbacks gonna be a hot topic in this offseason if we had, with matthew stafford carson wentz potentially aaron Rodgers, possibly not we'll see how that goes that's up in the air cam newton like even Tua to an extent deshaun watson like there's like 10 maybe 11 starting quarterbacks that are locked in when you look at like russ probably tom brady Josh Allen, Patty Mahomes, those type of guys, Lamar. But everybody else seems to be up in the air. It seems like there's going to be – I feel like we're going to see some quarterback musical chairs. Exactly, yeah. And we'll get right back to that in just a moment. Real fast, though, we are going to go and to another break. That way we can hear from our other sponsor. 
We'll be right back, guys, to talk about this quarterback carousel coming up in this offseason. What's up, everybody? It's Kelsey from the High Love Sports Podcast, and we recently partnered with Fubo TV. What is Fubo TV? Fubo TV is a service to broadcast live TV over the internet, no cable required. Watch your favorite teams, network shows, news, and movies on over 100 plus channels. You get channels like CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox. You can watch all the games. So go ahead, click that link in our bio, and get started on your seven day free trial. And stay tuned to some more great programming right here on the Unhinged Sports Network. Welcome back, everybody. You just heard from one of our other sponsors. And before we get going, this last portion of the episode is brought to you by the Original Craft Beer Club. If you guys don't know about the Original Craft Beer Club, what they do is they they hand hand select craft beers from across the nation and send them to your doorstep. So think about BarkBox and how that does for your dogs. It's the same thing, but for humans. And they send you beer. Who doesn't love free? Well, I won't say free. Who doesn't love beer sent to their home? Because I love beer sent to my home. So if you guys don't know anything about it, go check out the link in our bio, the original craft beer club in our link tree. It's fantastic. I do highly recommend it. If you do like beer, like trying different things, it's a fantastic thing to get. And now, to the piece de resistance, if you will. The story, the flavor, if you will, of the offseason, quarterbacks, and where they'll be, new faces and new places. And we also, you know, because you, you talk about this draft, and some of the biggest names in this draft are quarterbacks. And obviously, Trevor Lawrence being number one, Justin Fields number two, Zach Wilson number three. Where will they go? Who will they go? We're not going to talk about them because we have plenty of time to talk about those guys. We're talking about the old heads because to start us off, Aaron Rodgers post game doing some very Aaron Rodgers stuff, if you will. Uh, it coming coming out saying, you know, at the end of the day, we're not in control of our destiny. I don't know where I'll be next year. You know, this, that, and the other. Which he then come back and clarified on the Pat McAfee show that. You know, he was actually just saying, well, you know, in reality, nobody really understands because, you know, who knows what the ownership is going to provide. There's no certainty in sports, which understandably so. But like LeBron James, everything is calculated with Aaron Rodgers and his PR team. So, DJ, we'll start with that first. What did you think about Aaron Rodgers' comments? He's not going anywhere. If anything is a subtle dig at like, well, you drafted Jordan Love last year, you traded up and chased after him, and I just won the MVP and probably should have won this game if the def- if anyone besides you, Alexander, could play a lick of defense and help help a guy out. <laughs> so I think that was a subtle way of being like, well, you, this might they might decide to get rid of me because this didn't go their way. They might save. I think that was just more. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere, at least yeah. not this year. I don't think. I didn't like Jordan Love as a prospect as much coming out as a lot of other people did. Some a lot of people wanted him to be Patty Mahomes. I just thought he was an athletic kid with a good arm that could spend some time developing. I think another year would help him personally, especially if he gets to come in. Let's say not next year, but twenty twenty three, I believe it would be, yeah. or twenty twenty two, one of those two years. With two years under Aaron Rodgers, still have Devontae Adams. Hopefully, still have Robert Tunyon. Hopefully, they draft a receiver at some point during that time too. Well, who knows with them. I think that'd be a more ideal situation for him. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere though. He signed through. He signed through for like three more years, you know. And Aaron Rodgers said he's like, well, I kind of want to stick with one team my whole way, so I can at least have that over Brady and Manning and those guys yeah. and Brees. So, it's, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think it was a little blown out of proportion with just a little bit of snidiness because Aaron's like, God damn it, what do I have to do? Yeah, no, I do think this is definitely Aaron just just kind of goofing around and being Aaron at the end of the day. Just trying to to prod the 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 stoke the fire, you know, for for the next season, if you will. So that way, his front his front office does make some quality moves to give him some extra help 
Um, it's kind of what I saw out of it. I definitely think the same as you. He's not going anywhere. But so we do look at the list. Jordan Love. You know he's still pissed about it. You could have had Justin Jefferson. You could have had Michael yeah. Pittman or T. Higgins. Or you could have went defense and grabbed that Legereus Sneed kid or Julian Blackman or Antoine Winfield, someone that could relatively not get absolutely ripped apart by everybody on, like Kevin King did or at Sullivan or everybody not named Yair Alexander. Exactly. Yeah, no, there's, there's so much they could have done. But so we do look at the list of, of quarterback openings that have just recently opened up. Obviously, Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, those are the two big ones that are have announced their retirement. Has Drew Brees actually officially announced his retirement? Say again? Has Drew Brees actually officially announced it? Okay, maybe he hasn't officially, but he all, all reports are saying okay. he is done. Okay, I'll just make sure I didn't miss something dramatic, Rivers. but okay, so we'll just presume he's gone until proven otherwise. Yeah, at this point in time, we're going to presume he's gone. So Because based off of lip readers on the sideline, they did say... They, they did show the, the the him talking to Jameis and, and saying the words, this is your team now. Which is so, weird because Jameis is a free agent too, if I'm not mistaken. He's technically not signed either. Exactly. He he must have been, been talking to Taysom Hill at the end of the day, who also is a free agent, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. Look, I don't know what's going on in New Orleans, but they're probably going to be an opening. Obviously, Indy's an opening. Um, New England, for all intents and purposes, is an opening. Oh, that's an opening. I don't yeah. think Cam's coming back there, unfortunately. Yeah, they've, I think they've already agreed to, to part ways. Uh, potentially Carolina is an opening. Um, you, are, you already mentioned it. Possibly even Miami could be an opening if they get the right person. I mean, who knows with them? The Jets uh, are possibly an opening, depending if they like any of the quarterbacks. Yeah, There's Robert Sala coming into the Jets and whether they, they agree to stay with Darnold. Uh, Matt Ryan, will he stay with Atlanta? There's Houston talks about and, Kyle Shanahan being done with Garoppolo too. So there's talk yeah. there. Houston's going to need a quarterback because Deshaun's wants out of there, which we're going to be talking about plenty here soon as well too. Like exactly. So everywhere. So obviously big name, two big names that I can think of Matt Stafford, Deshaun Watson. I think these are the two biggest ones we should start with. I think it's safe to say those are the cream de la crop as far as guys we expect to be out there compared to Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, some of those other guys who, well, good. Not quite that level. Exactly. So we'll start with those two. Obviously, both have been linked to many places. Uh, Houston's asking for literally your firstborn child plus your secondborn plus your firstborn's firstborn. So at this point, not very many teams have that type of arsenal to give out. Oh, but where do you think? Where do you think if Deshaun's going to get moved, where do you think Deshaun would get moved to? Well, first of all, this is all the Jets and the Seahawks fault flat fault last year, trading two ones and a random three for Jamal Adams, just a safety who's really good. But now you have a elite quarterback like Deshaun. That's going to basically be like, okay, three ones and something else. And maybe your fourth nephew or something like that. See how much they got for Jamal Adams. We want this much for an elite quarterback. So way to go Jets and Seahawks. You ruined it for everybody. But anyway, if I'm that's tough. Cause the big links have always been Miami and the Jets. It sounds like the Jets are his preferred destination with Salah. And they have the picks. I mean, two first-round picks. You even have Sam Darnold you can sprinkle in there, which we mentioned this on NFL and Hinch, that poor kid. He gets sent from the Jets right when they get a little stability to the ultimate dumpster fire of Houston. Doesn't he have a coach yet? I There's Miami with their multiple first-round picks and two as well. Like, those are the two leaders. I I feel like the Miami is the team that's built to win right now. I mean, they won 10 games last year. And I think if Deshaun goes there, oh, my God, look out. That's going to be the Bills and the Dolphins are going to each win 13 games at that point. That division's yeah, going to be insane. I might look actually pretty accurate with my current Dolphins pick from this year. <laughs> you were closer than a lot of people, but I mean, if they get to Sean, I don't think he'll be as out on an island anymore, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, although 
if I, if I had to pick for Deshaun, obviously I think he would probably rather go to a team like Miami or even they're not going to send him to Indy, but a team like Indy that's been giving him, that's been a thorn in his side, but then he gets to go to them with the offensive line that he's never had. There's teams like, or if San Francisco could pull some, I don't know how they pull that off, but if they could somehow get that, he gets to go to a team with Kyle Shanahan coaching and George Kittle. Oh boy. And you'd probably get to keep either Fred Warner or Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa, one of them's probably going to have to go in the trade, but you get to keep one of them. Oh, okay. That That's fine. If Pittsburgh, they're known to trade away all their draft picks. I don't think they'd even be able to pull it off, honestly. And But that's the team that keeps a quarterback where Deshaun would look good. But I'm going to say I want to put them on the Jets. The Jets need a little something. They need a little flavor. They got a fantastic coach, a good offensive coordinator coming with him from San Fran. You got some talent on the Jets. We've talked about them. They're not a complete dumpster fire. They just played like absolute trash. They're getting Mosley back next year. They have some young talent. Saul is going to flip them around. And I think if you trade that second round, that second overall pick and a first and Sam, maybe a first next year in Sam Darnold. So two ones and a Sam, I think that's relatively fair conversation because Houston, you can't keep him. You can't just be like, Nope, we're going to keep him. You really can't to this point. Yeah. I mean, he so really really he's going to give you like... both ones this year in Tua. I think you take that from the jets. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I do think the jets is obviously the most likely landing place for him. Just considering what they have to give. And in return, you get Sam Darnold for Houston. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, I'm okay with this. Um, I do think for the Jets, though, if you do that move for Deshaun, you have to, like, your first pick in the second, in whatever your first pick is in this draft. It'll be the Seahawks pick, if I'm not mistaken, if you get to keep that one. Yeah, if, if you get to keep it, would have to go to a lineman. You cannot, like, not do that. If you If you pull the strings for Deshaun, you have to go and get a lineman. Honestly, you probably sure. sign some because they have like the most cap space too. Like, because you got Mexi Beck on, that is nice. But I think you almost sign veterans. It's like, all right, we're going to make sure there is a foundation here and you draft linemen. Like, I think, I think yeah, you have to get you, some assured pieces in free agency, even if you have to overspend, like the Browns did with Conklin last year, then drafted Jedrick Willis on top of it. Yeah, I'd say even with the what the Colts originally did before when they when they drafted Quentin, they drafted they they brought in a whole bunch of old guys to cover for Curtis Painter, if I'm not mistaken, it was that season. Because that was Andrew's. Andrew was gone for his, for the season, and then drafted. Oh, okay, there you go, Jacoby. So had a whole bunch of whole bunch of old men protecting him, and then they're like, "All right, Quentin, Braden, you guys can come in, and you're gonna sit here the next year." And that's it worked out pretty well for him, and now they have one of the best offensive lines. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, look, the Jets are obviously number one position, but to me, I honestly think somehow the Niners pull something off for him. I think John Lynch and that squad, they have something going for them. And they, they look at it and like Jimmy is, is a game manager. And we've talked about him in, in, in the longstanding for being a game manager and how we like game managers, as long as you don't try to dress them up as something they're not. And if you, the game manager is just fine, but that's Deshaun Watson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like in this case, I think San Francisco needs something more than a game manager to succeed because you guys got such a dynamic player in George Kittle. Um, you guys got Debo Debo Samuel out there as well, um, that can that you can play with. Like, Brandon Ayuk, who burst on the scene when he was able to play last year too. Exactly, and if you can keep those two plus Kittle, and then one of those defensive pieces you mentioned, like Warner or Bosa, as long as if you can keep both, even better. Um, but as long as you can keep your main young core intact, like you'll be fine. And getting Deshaun would just tend send your offense. You. It sucks you're in the NFC West at that point in time. I think they're still a favorite. I think it sucks if you're Seattle. Because I think if you're Seattle, like, shoot, we have no picks and we're stuck with this team. Now they got damn Deshaun Watson. Great. Exactly. 
But it's, it's, that's the cool thing. I mean, it's like they're in the NFC West, so it sucks. But at the same time, it's because they're in the NFC West that I could see them pulling out a, a, a hat trick for Deshaun to get them that extra boost because they were already almost a playoff contender. Well, they were a playoff contender, but they're already almost a playoff team. And they just needed that little extra something from the quarterback position to get them above. And, you know, not 19 to 35 people injured, too. That would probably help, too. But Yeah, okay, that's that's also true. They don't need to set records for injuries anymore. <laughs> that was awful to see. That uh, but they won't be playing in Pittsburgh, so they'll be okay. That being said, what I do want to say, since we're on the topic of the 49ers, I saw this the other day, and I thought it was absolutely dirty. Let's say they keep their first pick. It's like 13 or 12 or something like that. It's in the early 10s. How dirty would it be if they drafted Kyle Pitts to go with George Kittle? I, mm-mm. Look, okay, so Anahan is the coach, and then that running game, and then Ayuk and Stebo Samuel out there. Oh boy, oh no, 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 no. You know, people give give Tom Brady a lot of crap for his his offensive weapons, but he's his team set one of the biggest standards that has scared every offensive or every defensive coordinator ever, having two dynamic tight ends with Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. You know, all things set aside from their personal issues. And and everything there, you know, all of that situation. We can even throw in Martellus Bennett when they brought him in too to go with Exactly. Yeah. So Martellus Bennett and Gronk and Aaron Hernandez and Gronk and, and just how dynamic they were, we saw how prolific those offenses could be. If you t- do the same thing and repeat the same thing in San Francisco with a quarterback like Deshaun and have Kyle Pitts and George Kittle there, oh man. I who needs receivers at that point? Like Debo Samuel is your only or Brandon Ayuk. One of them is going to be out wide, and they'll be fine. And, you know, just take the top off is your only goal. Just get open. Like, do the Dion Branch thing of just get open. <laughs> I mean, like, at, at that point, you could just run heavy jumbo the entire time and still be a passing offense. It's absolutely insane. And here's the scary part. They have a blocking tight end built into their fullback in Kyle Juszczyk, who also can receive. So think of that, like, three tight ends, essentially, that are dynamic in the way they they, they play the position – and then you throw in a Brandon Ayuk or a Debo Samuel who can take the top off and get open and, and be, dynam- be dynamic down the field. It's just that. Okay, offense we're having way too much fun with this. We got to get back on topic. We're here to yeah, talk about so the offseason quarterbacks. We, I just let's get moving forward now. So that's Deshaun. Obviously, I'm going to the Niners. DJ to the Jets. Uh, I do agree with DJ. Though. The Jets are the number one obviously landing point. And now he's going to go to the Patriots somehow. He's just going to yeah. split the middle. <laughs> and speaking of the Patriots, their number one most likely quarterback if they don't get one in the draft is the other other top target in this he's been linked to. Matt Stafford, he's been linked to a lot of teams. Colts, Patriots seem to be the top two landing spots for Matt Stafford so far. Obviously, DJ, as a Colts fan, I think we know where you hope he lands, but honestly, do you think that's where he lands? Do you think he lands in Indy? This sounds a lot like when they were talking about Phillip Rivers to the Colts last year. Like, everything is points like a duck, it smells like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it might as well be a duck. So I feel like he, that is the front running team so far. Everything they've said, Chris Ballard has shown like he will trade that first round pick and he's a very effective second round pick guy. It's not like he's only had one first round pick since he's been there. and It's been Quentin Nelson. So, I mean, not a whole lot to compare to, but second round when you've pulled guys like Braden Smith, Darius Leonard, Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, like he's shown that he would almost rather trade out of the first round to get these, to get more picks like this or trade back in the first round. So I think if they could get Stafford at a reasonable price, like a one and maybe a conditional next year, three, that could be a two if they make like a playoff run or something like that, you know, something along those lines. I don't think you can do a Deshaun like one, two and a five or something ridiculous or one, three, Jonathan Taylor and your firstborn son and Quentin Nelson's third niece or something like that. 
Yeah. I feel like there'll be a bit of a limitation since Stafford is 32, 33. And weirdly enough, as good as he has been, he doesn't quite have that great factor that Deshaun has too because he's been in the league for a lot longer and playoff-wise has accomplished less, I guess you could say, considering Deshaun has won a playoff game. I was going to say, is, yeah, yeah. Deshaun has one win in the playoffs, so it's not yeah. beating him. Exactly. Like, obviously, I think most people don't think too much about that. If they're you see Matthew Stafford's talent, you see Ryan Kelly, Quinn Nelson, and Braden Smith out in front, and you see T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor behind him and a potential top 10 defense, and I think we see 11 wins again next year, maybe even 12. I think you see a dynamic playmaker with an offensive line that he has not had, receivers that he has had before, but it, in different types of situations, and a running game he has never had, like one 1,000-yard rusher, and it was Reggie Bush with 1,006 yards in 2013, which was a year they were pretty good, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they were. And a defense probably better than any defense he's ever had that's probably only going to get better, too. I mean... It's, it was a top 10-ish defense, and it had some lapses. I think it's only going to improve going forward. So it seems like a safe – obviously, the Patriots are the Patriots, but that just seems like a very unquarterback friendly spot where if I'm Stafford, I'm like, please, no. Please don't. Don't yeah. do not do that. I mean, I know it's Belichick but like, and Josh McDaniels, but they have a lot of retooling to do. Like That offense is built for a Brady-type quarterback, and that Stafford's not that type of quarterback. So, yeah. I don't know. The Steelers are also an option. We mentioned them too. I mean, Big Ben's getting old and I'm sure they're sick of him just kind of, you know, throwing interceptions to the defensive lineman, as Antonio Brown would say, and throwing 16 interceptions against the Browns and just kind of whipping it all over the place. So that's also an unlikely option, but a possible one. I think there's a there's a few different ways you can go about it, but I'm going to lean towards the Colts as being the favorite as well too, just because everything seems to point to him and they seem like they'd be the most likely to make a trade because you're probably not going to get an elite quarterback at 21 or you're going to basically have to hit a gold mine that nobody saw coming. Like if Kyle Trask was there and you took a shot on him and he ended up being everything that we, everything that nobody thinks he will be. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like very unlikely you're going to get a future quarterback at 21 when your only quarterback on the roster was your fourth round pick last year, who you have not even seen preseason action from yet, but the new offensive coordinator does like him from what I read. So I feel like Stafford is a perfect two, two years stopgap guy. Then, Jacob Easton, the fourth round pick, takes over in a couple of years, and Aaron Rodgers is it up because the offensive coordinator really likes him, from what I understand. The new offensive coordinator. Yeah, and that's just it. You know, you, you talk about that new offensive coordinator. You you actually showed me, told me about the articles where they were talking about him coming out. You know, not even not not even being active in the game, but coming out before games and and doing a whole workout and other coaches coming up to the the offensive coordinator, being like, "Who is that guy? Oh, that's that's Jacob Easton." Wait, what? That Jacob Eason that you just drafted, like, and yeah, that, and they were just like, oh wow, okay, like he looks good, but uh, so I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. I do like that idea, and I keep thinking about the Patriots, and the one thing with the Patriots is they're set in a very late first round position, anyways, or well, I guess it's twenties. It's where like seventeen, sixteen. It's like in the late teens, something like that. And they're set up in that position where they do have a lot of things they need to fill in because they're not sure what guys are coming back after the opt ins. And everything else with injury, uh, you know, to talk about the Stephon Gilmore injury as well. Um, and and so there's some injuries to fill in there. So you guys, have, you have a lot of positions that need to be filled in. They're being linked to Mac Jones. They're being linked to Kyle Trask, obviously, in the second round. And that wouldn't surprise me. Those would be very New England-friendly quarterbacks to get. Um, they, they they like to get their game managers, you know. That's, that's what you need. Uh, get the Mac Jones, get to Kyle Trask, you'll be fine. And I keep seeing that, and I keep thinking that's the way the Patriots are going to go. So that leads me to 
the other option for where he could land and the most likely is, is obviously the Colts as well. And you talked about it. You know, that offensive line, that is something he has never had. He has never had an offensive line that he doesn't have to worry about two-thirds of it giving up a pass rusher. Like, usually he's like, hike, okay, getting rid of the ball. And, you know, it hasn't been since he was in college at Georgia, which made him a number one pick, mind you. <laughs> Everybody forgets that he was a number one overall draft pick. He was Forget that he good. threw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns in a season. Exactly. I mean, he is fantastic. You know, he's the only, what, the, the most recent Detroit Lion to ever compete for an MVP. And it's because he didn't win it because he didn't have Calvin that one year. You know, and uh, he still threw for stupid numbers. Anyways, but he's, you know, you put him in a team that has an offensive line, that has a defense, has receiving weapons. I mean... And a lot of cap space too. So, I mean, yeah, they could take his contract space. and bring in somebody like maybe Allen Robinson or something like that too. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Colts have to fill that left tackle spot out, but honestly, you you can fill that out with, with anybody in free agency, or if you have a left tackle that falls in the second round for whatever reason, there's some quality left tackles in the second round. I mean, obviously you talk about Braden Smith as a right tackle. Maybe you move Quinn to left tackle, move Braden to left guard, and you can completely sure up Matt Stafford's blind side and you bring in a, a rookie to play on that right tackle side because that's just the way they do things. The left tackle, the left side of the line is just a fortified wall. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's completely possible. I mean they've already talked about moving Quentin to left left tackle, so that's that's something to, to to be seen. And and you talk about not just in the pass game how much that would help them, but in the in the run game, Jonathan Taylor would be able to have more open holes because they wouldn't just be focusing on him rushing the ball because you'd have that threat of Matt Stafford throwing it over the top of you to any one of these guys or being able to hit an out route to Michael Pittman, you know, 10 yards, 15 yards down the field because he just has that type of arm strength. He has an ungodly cannon of an arm. His arm strength is windowed a little bit and it's still probably top 10. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, he went from being assuredly number one to, well, seven, maybe eight at this point in his career after – dislocating his throwing shoulder in a game. And this is arguably not even his arm strength going down. It's just Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. These guys make no sense how they can throw the ball so far. Exactly. Yeah. And you still have Aaron Rodgers in there who still does his thing. His still flick of the wrist. That is unnaturally good. Yeah. So I do think, I do think the Colts are the most likely landing spot, landing spot with this, with Stafford. And I do have to agree with you on this. It does sound a lot like the Phillip Rivers thing where it's just, it, when the Colts get mentioned with somebody, I feel like when it started in the offseason, like day one of their offseason, and it does not let up to the Super Bowl, they they get that guy at the end it of the It feels day. like it's said, and I think it's just getting the asking press. Because you know Detroit's going to try and like get a one and a two and some other stuff. Indy's probably saying, like, we'll give you a two and a conditional two next year. So I think it's going to somehow, I think there'll just be some debating at this point. Or if someone like New England's like, screw it, take our one and our two. We need him. We can't let Brady win this Super Bowl. And then Belichick, like, you know, Something yeah. like that. Like, unless somebody's going to throw a lot more at him, I can see that playing out that way. And also, you know, who Jacob Eason does kind of remind one of is a poor man's Matthew Stafford. I mean, the rocket arm, a little bit of moving in the pocket, the ability to just ridiculous arm talent to throw the ball over the field look kind of similar. Obviously, Stafford's significantly more polished coming out of Georgia. No one's saying that entirely, but two Georgia kids wear number nine, slink yeah. darts all over the field. Interesting type of comparison for somebody to learn under. Yeah, Easton, uh, Easton talked about it when he went to Georgia. Part of the reason was because he, he watched Matt Stafford growing up. 
and what Matt Stafford was able to do there. And, and he wanted to do that as well because he's a Washington kid. And so he drew, he flew cross country to Georgia. <laughs> and then, well, you know, he got injured and Jake Fromm happened and game manager took over. And he's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go show my talent somewhere else. And, and he did show his talent in Washington. So, uh, you know, it, it's a shame that, that he fell so far in the draft. But, yeah, you, you're exactly right. He does have that type of arm talent that can scare some teams. And I, we have a little bit of time left, so we can look at a couple other quarterbacks really quick. We'll talk with your boy, Dak Prescott. Do you think the Cowboys keep? What do you think happens with Dak? I think the Cowboys find a way to keep him. I think they agree on, like, a one-year prove-it deal, like $33 million or something like that. It's like, look, here's it's all guaranteed. We can't pay you till, till we know that ankle's not going to explode again. Here's 33 straight. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I I won't call it a hometown discount, but it wouldn't surprise me if that $33 million is very incentivized. Like it's like a, actually a $25 million base contract that can get up to 35 from just, you know, for throwing for simple things. Like maybe he breaks 4,000 yards or 4,500 yards. Basically everything you were touchdowns. doing last year, as long as you could do that without your ankle exploding. Exactly. Yeah. And just do what you did to set the right, like to, to, to get yourself to this point and we will pay you that. And then after this year, obviously after they, they assure that, that, that ankle to be fine. I do think they'd sign him to a long year, long contract. Um, the only thing I think that could stand in the way of that would be if they can somehow move up in the draft to a top 10 position. And maybe if they can trade with the Jets to get a top two, which is, I hate that they even being mentioned, but reading the Cowboys forums, a lot of Cowboys fans want to go up to the top two and, and go and pick somebody up there. And I'm like, who? Don't pick Justin Fields. Stick with Dak. And that's that's my theory on that. But unfortunately, a lot of a lot of fans are talking about them trading with number with with New York to get a number two pick to get somebody like Justin Fields, which is terrifying for me. I will say one thing I saw was funny is they compared Trey Lance to Dak and said he's a faster Dak Prescott with a little bit that's still kind of coming out of the draft more or less. Like obviously he has to get better at passing to be like Dak, but like similar as draft prospects coming out which I know you're not a big Trey Lance guy. You're shaking your head violently like, no, keep him away from me. Look, the guy had 238 rush or pass attempts and 228 rush attempts as a quarterback in college, and he's a three-year starter. So let's, let's be honest about what he is. He is not a quarterback. He just happens to be a throwing running back. Yes, <laughs> I am using the Lamar reference and calling him a throwing running back because – that's what your statistics tell me you are. Lamar at least had overwhelming passing stats compared to his running stats. This kid has only 10 more pass attempts than rush attempts. That's like saying Jarvis Landry is a quarterback, which you watch your mouth. How you speak about QB one now. Yeah. I was about to say, I mean, he has kind of QB one and a half over there, so I can't really totally knock him, but, but look, I get what you're saying. Honest, I, got, I, I, I get what you're saying. Trey Lance. Lance. The hype's really the hype's really high around him, but I haven't seen as much of it to have him as a first round quarterback. Second or third round project? Sure, why not? Like he could possibly prove us all wrong. But if you're gonna trade up in the draft or take him in the first round, good luck. I mean yeah, I don't know. You better maybe trade back into the first round if you already pick like at the end for him. But I don't know. I just don't see him as like that fourth best quarterback you take a pick thirteen or something like that. Yeah, no, he Trey Lance to me is definitely a guy that got hurt by FBS, yeah, FBS moving their or FCS moving their season to the spring, and you know North Dakota State not playing a full season. They only played one game in the fall. That that really hampered them. Um, I do think 
if they had done what like Liberty did and just, you know, move up at this point in time, forcibly move yourself up to a D1 schedule and do a D1 independent schedule, Trey Lance, we see something different from Trey Lance. And I might have a different opinion on Trey Lance, but we only saw one game from him and they almost lost. And now we won't ever see him play again in college. So I just don't think of him highly as a prospect. That's just me personally. I almost prefer Kyle Trask or Mac Jones over him as a prospect. I feel like there's obviously Trey Lance has a ridiculous amount of time with his speed, his arm strength, all that. But a lot of guys have that. And what I just, like you said, he feels like a run first guy that can throw the ball decent enough. So yeah, my personal preference, I don't think you trade up for him. I'd say keep Dak as well too. Isaiah almost just give him a fully guaranteed deal. Like, look, we're sorry you got hurt, especially during a contract year. Here's 33 million straight. We will re-sign you. Just want to make sure you're not going to die. Exactly. And I guess the only other one we got to talk about, and that's because we have to talk about it, is what's going to happen in Philadelphia. All right, you beat me to it. I wasn't sure we were on the same page because we didn't even plan this. But all right, we were on the same page with what that mess. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, I look, they, they, the owner wants, Lori wants Wentz, the fans want Hurts. They don't, the new coach, what do you do? What do you, what do you do if you're the new coach coming in and the new GM? What's interesting is he was the Colts offensive coordinator. He, so he's worked with Frank Reich and he worked with Frank Reich when they were in San Diego together. Cause Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator and Sirianni was the quarterback's coach. So like they had a lot of relationship beforehand. That's kind of why it was interesting to see Philly go after him since they weren't going to get Frank Reich back, which, you know, they, I guarantee they were thinking like, man, is there a way we could sneak him back somehow? <laughs> so this reeks of okay the owner picked him because he can work with Carson once he thinks like because Frank Reich and Carson they were two peas in a pot I mean Carson was an MVP under when Frank Reich was there as offensive coordinator and Doug Peterson was head coach so I think uh, this this move reeks of Carson is staying in Philadelphia and I have no idea what that means for Jalen Hurts yeah I, I don't know other way around it I mean you don't bring it Nick Sirianni to coach Jalen Hurts it, it just doesn't add up and then they try to take Marcus Brady, the Colts' new offensive coordinator, who is the quarterback coach, they tried to bring him along with too. But once he got the offensive coordinator promotion, he stayed in Indy. But smart, just, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of talk of Carson coming to the Eagles too. But I, oh, sorry, Carson coming to the Colts. Like, it seems like everyone's coming to the Colts now. Since when you're a playoff Super Bowl level roster without a quarterback, every time there's a quarterback out there, they're everyone's linked to them now. It seems like, but yeah, I just. Not- it feels weird because he's. I don't feel like he's the type of coordinator and coach you bring in for Jalen Hurts, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And what that means, like if from my standpoint, what I think that means for Hurts is they're going to give him an ultimatum. Either you accept this this role as a backup, maybe a trick guy, you know, uh, get a, you know gimmick guy, or we 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 trade you. And to me, if I'm Jalen Hurts, well, okay. First of all, Jalen Hurts is, is the epitome of a team first guy. So it's it's hard to, to do anything like and say he won't be this way because he is always that way. Um, but, you know, you, you look at it and, and you're just like, after his success that he had, and yeah, it wasn't fantastic by any means, but there was success for Jalen. I If I'm him, I want to go somewhere. 100%. You know? After what you did last year, you are a starting quarterback. From what you see, you believe you are a starting quarterback. Exactly. And to be completely honest, you know what would be an interesting place for him to land? Detroit. You know, Matt Stafford leaving. They need to find a new face of the franchise. Bring in Jalen Hurts. See what he can do for that offense. Because it needs needs some 
the dynamism in the quarterback position. And Jalen Hurts, I, I've said it a long time, he's a he's a game manager who can run, which is a fantastic feature because he can get you out of tight spots, but he's still not going to cost you anything. And that's that seems to be the way he plays, and that's a fantastic thing to do. And and I do think that could be the way that that Jalen Hurts sees himself as a starting quarterback from now on. I do think he ends up somewhere else. And to me, I honestly think it would be Detroit, especially with Carson seemingly staying in Philadelphia. So. I think it's a good fit. You got T.J. Hawkinson. Galladay's a free agent. Maybe you bring him back. You got some young talent. You got a new coach in there. The, that team just needs a whole lot of everything. Why not bring in a dynamic quarterback who can make plays on his own too? Because I'm not mistaken, they're in the lower half of the top 10. You're probably not getting any of the guys you want because I think someone's going to trade up for Zach Wilson. I already said I'm not sure about Trey Lance. but I don't know, man. I really don't know. if I think it's a good fit, actually. I really like that. Yeah, and I mean, Sirianni can coach Jalen Hurts. I mean, he did have a year with Jacoby Brissett where they have Jacoby's significantly slower, obviously. But, like, yeah. I don't know. I think he can do it, but it, it just feels like Carson's the guy there. And, like you said, Jalen Hurts might be trade, trade bait at this point. Detroit's a good fit. I'll go back to Pittsburgh again. I mean, it kind of feels like that'd be an interesting setup there too. I, I don't know. Maybe, or maybe they pull a 180 on us and Carson does get traded. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And that, that, could, that could conceivably happen by all means. And, you know, the one thing that, that made me lean towards Detroit is they're already being linked to Justin Fields. Um, and that's if he falls that far. And to me, I'm just like, why take a flyer on some guy who's, we're not totally sure about when Jalen has shown that he can be that guy if you put them in a position to win and uh, you know, obviously with a team re- restaffing their whole team with their coaching staff, it could be a perfect position for Jalen to come in and be like, I'm here. Let's go win some games. So honestly, you know, it'd be absolutely hilarious is if somehow the dolphins still aren't sold on Tua and they do a Tua for Jalen hurts type of swap there too. And then they, then the Eagles send Carson somewhere else. And somehow t- Jalen is up taking hurt to a spot. I will not deal with a different Alabama quarterback in the NFC East after having dealt with Jalen Hurts for this season. I will lose my mind. That'd be the ultimate. That'd be the ultimate 2020, 2021. What the heck is going on here? Exactly. But that does it for us today, guys. Uh, obviously, we have a lot, lot to cover today. Uh, there was a lot of recapping from this weekend because there was a lot that happened and a lot happening going forward. So be sure to, you know, stay tuned. If you don't already follow us on Twitter, follow us on Twitter. At under or high, at high underscore low underscore sports on Twitter or our website highlowsportspodcast.com. Um, you keep us up, that's how we keep you up to date. Uh, but other than that, DJ, do you have any final words? Not a whole lot. Be sure to check out Fanatics, Craft Beer Club, Dr. Squatch, Fubo TV, Cut That Cord. You know the drill, all of that. Pretty much everything Kelsey said, stick around. We got a lot of fun sports coming up too, and a lot of different shows to be working on. Exactly, guys. We've got a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff coming out. Um, so be sure to stay tuned. And as always, guys, appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, see you. O'Reilly Auto Parts specializes in keeping your car on the road. Not sure how much life is left in your battery? Our professional parts people will test it for free. If it does need to be replaced, we'll help you find just the right one to fit your car. Our superstar batteries are built to handle even the toughest conditions. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.